A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Sinbin podcast brought to you by the AI channel. Tonight we're going to have a little chat around Ireland and England and, and all the other things that have happened in the Rugby World Cup. And joining me on, on the pod tonight, I'm delighted to say I've uh, two quite special guests. First up from uh, the host of the Liver Birds podcast on the AI channel. First time I've done a pod with her. I am completely delighted to, to, to introduce Gay. Hi, how are you Gay? I'm very well, and thank you for the invitation, Dave. Honestly, I'm quite excited about this, breaking out of my normal um, area of expertise. So, yeah, should be good. Well, you're sort of a jack of all trades with sports, so whenever I heard you like rugby, it was a no-brainer. I had to get you on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it was good fun. Hopefully we'll get that laugh of yours going throughout the pod, and we'll, we'll all be good. You'll have to and work separate... hard for that one, Dave. I don't no, just laugh no, no, at anything. No. Oh, you do. Come on. <laughs> the majority of the live birds is just you laughing. That's what makes it. <laughs> it's infectious. Thank um, you. And secondly on the pod, man doesn't need many introductions in AI, Mr. Dave Hendrick. Uh, how are you, Dave? I know you've had a mad metaf- metamorphosis of change of personality and you're now Mr. Happy. How are you? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm good. Um, this is unusual because Gags doesn't normally let me and Ray be on the same podcast because we both, <laughs> we both swear too much. But um, I think that, you know, that this kind of branching out is, is, is helping uh, ease his worries about, about how many people will hear me swear as much. Um, I'm good. I'm enjoying the World Cup. Ireland are obviously doing well. And, you know, everything that's going on in Liverpool has obviously helped to improve my mood. So, um yeah, all in all, it's been a pretty good couple of weeks. I can tell you're smiling. <laughs> well, I've, Listen, I've just I'm recorded gonna... the happy hour with Gennaro. Um, it took, like, we started at about five past seven, and we finished just after ten, and we managed to get about 45 minutes recorded because the internet connection was so poor, because uh, where he is in, in Toronto, in Ontario at the minute. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's been a stressful evening, but it's still been very funny. Well, listen, it's great to have you both on. I'm going to go to Gay first, ladies first. And we're not going to laugh, first of all, uh, at our English representative. 
but you must be more you're you're the first actual uh, English person we've had on the pod. And I'd just like to get your views on on the whole debacle that was England's World Cup. Okay, so just a small subject to start then. Um, just, just, just break it down for me. Where, where, where do you feel it all went? What, 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 you know, there's a there's a lot of sort of feeling amongst sort of the, the England, or sorry, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland that you were slightly overconfident. Would that would that be a fair one? I think that. When I when I reflect on it, so and I am going to qualify this by saying I am a rugby fan who lives in England rather than an England rugby fan. But I do, I, you know, I do watch England games and all the rest of it. But I I think that there was a huge amount of attention focused on the squad and you know a, a small number of people that they kept talking about as opposed to focusing on the the squad and the balance. So, you know, I feel quite sorry for Sam Burgess in, in these circumstances because, you know, it's not his fault he got picked. Um, Stuart Lancaster and the coaches made that decision that they thought he could, you know, come in and make a difference. And he is a supremely talented player. Was it too early? Maybe. Um, or maybe they played him at, at the wrong position because that wasn't the position he was playing at Bath that they kept trying to use him in. So there is that. Um, there are lots of debates about, you know, Luther Burrell and there were debates about George Ford. And there, I, I think they lost focus. It would would be my um, would be my take on it. And I think that. <sighs> Pressure is an interesting thing. Um, and funny enough, I was listening to some people talk on the radio the other night and they were talking about the Olympics and one thing or another. And, and when I think back to London 2012, it genuinely inspired so many GB athletes when they competed um, and they did more and competed harder and, uh, you know, won more than they ever thought possible. And I got the impression that maybe the pressure overall diminished the England squad. I mean, if I look at the the Wales game, so I didn't see the game against um, Fiji. I, I, I mean, I guess it was a little bit, well, not a cakewalk, but, you know, they were expected to win and they won. I watched the game against Wales and the thing that I, I still, I don't understand, and, you know, this is coming from an amateur person, is they played really well in the first half. And, Absolutely, and they and they they had a plan, and they were putting points on the board, and Wales didn't really have um, a foothold in the game, and then and so they played like they were trying to win, and in the second half they played like they were trying not to lose, and it was just a bizarre turnaround, and you know Wales are never going to lie down um, and die on you, and even with all of the terrible injuries they had and all the rest of it, and I have to say, as a game, I really enjoyed the game. You know, one the of the best I've ever flow. seen. Yeah, one of yeah. one of the best games I ever saw. It was fantastic. It was. It was a really, really good game. I, I was watching it with somebody who was a real England fan, and was just basically going into meltdown next to me. Um, but I did. I really enjoyed it as a game. But I, but I think they. I don't know. I think I don't even know if it's losing their nerve. I think they just went into themselves. And and there's been a lot of sort of criticism of Rob Shaw and all the rest of it, the decision he made and people going, oh, you know, he should have taken the three points and they would have drawn the game. That was never a given. 
that was actually a really tough kick. And everybody's assuming that Farrell would have made that kick. Actually, we don't know that. They could have lost the game by trying to take the three points. I, you know, there's part of me that says I'd rather kind of, you know, fail gloriously than, you know, kind of creep around the sides. But um, hindsight is a great thing, isn't it? Everybody going, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. The issue for me was not the decision. The issue was the call on the line out. It was absolutely ridiculous. Why would you why would you throw it to the to the first player, the number two, whoever it was? Why would you do that when you're two yards from the bloody sideline? Absolute nonsense. Um, so actually, I'm, I'm not so. So let me come back to your question in terms of the summary. Were they overconfident? I don't know if they were overconfident. I think they felt that they had the players to do it. But but frankly, they didn't execute. That's what it came down to. They had talent in the squad, but when push came to shove, they didn't execute on the field and other teams did and they did a better job. No, I hear you on that. And, you know, I think it was ballsy that they went for the corner, to, to, to be honest with you. But for, for my money, and I said it before on a previous pod, it was just clear at that time they were never passing. They were never getting over that Welsh line. You know, the, the Wales were walking wounded, but there was just, yeah. there, was a, there was a defiance about them and they were never going to be, you know, they were never going to be broke down in those last minutes. You know, they'd come that far. At half time, I would have said the game was over. 10 point lead. They yeah. came out after half time, exchanged penalties, remained at 10. And then from what happened after that, just it, it, went, it went kind of mad. But then the Australia game, really, I, I, I had a bet actually on for Australia 12 plus points. And, and you know, yeah. we, we previewed the games on these pods. Nobody could see it. I just thought after the Wales game, they're, they're going to take a pacing. I, I won 70 quid on it. I can't complain. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> I'm Irish, I'm Irish. <laughs> but but, it, but, but it, uh, the thing about that Australia game for me, though, and, and it comes back to my point about execution. So, you know, yes, there was, there was pressure and, and all of those other things, but there always is. You know, you're, you're an international rugby player. You know, these some of these players have been on Lions tours. You know, they've done the international series and all of the rest of it. The bit for me was Australia were pretty much better in every single phase of the game. That's that's as simple as it got. You know, if England had loads of the ball, right? If you think about it, every time they got close to near or slightly over the Australian 22, they were wrapped up. And I lost count of the amount of times that they got turned over and the Australians ended up with the ball. They were magnificent. I mean, if you want to see an example of having a game plan and executing it almost perfectly, that Australian performance was pretty much it. You know, yeah, I, well, I could, well, you know, Gitto, Foley, Hooper, they were all they were all magnificent. You know, you could say that there are very few England players, I would say, came out of that with a massive amount of credit. They tried really hard. They were desperate. They wanted to win. They wanted to perform. They just couldn't execute. Yeah, and, and one you actually didn't mention there, and he, and he stood out for me in that game, was Pocock. Uh, you know, as a groundhog, yeah. there's just nothing that he didn't sweep up, and you you know that's that that is what he's good at, and he 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 executed it actually perfectly. Dave, for you, when when you stop laughing, sorry, Gay, when when, <laughs> when you stop laughing, what what is your thoughts on on this England debacle? Um, I think a lot of the blame falls on the the coaches and the selectors. Um, I I Owen Farrell is a fine player. I just cannot see the logic in picking him over George Ford. I think Ford is just, 
he's a more rounded player. I think he's a more talented player. I think he gets his centers moving better. I think Farrell slows the ball up a bit. I actually think Farrell should have been playing in the center alongside Jonathan Joseph um, with Ford at the 10. And I think what they would have got is they would have got a lot of a lot more ball movement. Burgess should not have been in the squad. Look, I know he's, you know, this, you know, superstar cross code and all the rest, but he's not ready. He's so raw. When you watch him play for Bath and he, he, you know, he has moments of absolute brilliance, but he has moments where you look at him and you just know this guy isn't used to playing this sport at this level. His instincts are still buried in league. And I think a lot of the problems started from there. I mean, you know, you, you watched the, the Fiji game and there were mistakes made by the English that a better team would have capitalized on. Then they threw away the game against Wales. And, and to be honest, as, as, as good as Wales were, and they were really good, a team of England stature should not be losing that game given the position at half time, not on their home ground, not if they have ambitions of being, you know, world champions, which they will have gone into this tournament with ambitions of being world champions. And then it came to the Australia game and Dave, like you, I, I actually thought I actually expected Australia to give them a bit of a paste. And um, I thought Australia played well, but I thought Australia made enough mistakes that a good team would have punished them. And, there was, like what they were able to do was they were able to dominate them in the scrum, but there were certain er- errors at the breakdown where the English players just could not take advantage. Whether that was, you know, just a lack of form, it can be just it can be pure luck. A lot of times, it could could have been a lack of desire because not to question any of them because obviously you don't question any who plays that sport, but there were times where they were just a little bit hesitant getting to the breakdown they were just that half second late and the Aussies were making mistakes but because the English weren't there to capitalize they were able to clean them up themselves um like I, I looked at that that Australian team and like Pocock was phenomenal uh Hooper was just oh that guy is is just phenomenal like he is I would say he's the best um the best seven in the world right now having taken over from Richie McCall you know, as the best seven, obviously. Um, I just, I'm, I'm shocked at how poor England were. And as much as I was laughing, and you know, I'm, I'm just stunned by how poor they were. And I think a lot of it has to go down on the coaching staff. They didn't look prepared. The squad is questionable, and I, I just could not understand the decision not to go with George Ford the ten. I think he, his ability. When he gets the ball in his hand, but with you know, with ball through hands and with his boot, I just I don't understand why Owen Farrell was picked ahead of him, other than the fact that his dad is sitting in the stands next to Lancaster. I don't know. I for me it was partly it was about the decision making. So not not the decision by the coaches before they got onto the field, but the decision making by the players when they were on the field was just I couldn't understand some of it. And some of it was just really poor decision-making. And I think also, Dave, in, in terms of one of your points, I think they were 
they were slow. They they when they when they were looking to spread the ball out, when they're looking to you know you know go through the phases of play, they they didn't seem to have the same I don't know zip or or whatever it is. They always seemed a little bit a step slower than they mm. should have been in no, terms totally of. Agree making those decisions and I, I so whether they overtrained whether you know they tensed up what whatever it was it maybe it was a whole combination of things but but that that's what it came to I just thought it, there was it, an awful lot looked, of decision making it looked to me like they spent too much time training on the physical side of things and not, not enough time yeah. on skills training like when you see some of the ball that came out, like they did get quick ball on a couple of occasions, both against Wales yeah. and against the Aussies. And as soon as it pa- like as soon as it gets to Farrell, it's almost like he hasn't called a set move, or if he has, if he has, it's one that nobody else is really sure on, and he's not really sure on. Like there just doesn't seem to be any natural fit with that back line that they picked. There's no fluidity when the ball is running through hands there's nobody making cuts there's nothing there's no dummy plays either like i i always think back to the 99 world cup the finest Mm. display of of backed rugby i've seen by that australian team you had gregan at at the nine larkham at the 10 uh horan was the 12 and danny herbert was the 13 you had uh, Matt Burke at fullback and Burke coming through the centre or a winger outside. And they were able to keep defences guessing constantly because they had such an array of plays. And it looked like it was the most natural thing in the world, like this was all off the cuff. But yeah. this was all pre-planned. Tra- like as you, as you hear in soccer, that's one from the training ground. All of this was yeah. from the training ground. I'm not seeing that. To be honest, I'm not seeing it with any team in this World Cup, but I'm especially, I, I just saw none of it with the English team. Nothing to suggest that these are things been worked on constantly on the training ground. I look back at the Clive Woodward England team and I saw these type of moves. Many of them functioned around Jason Robinson. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no great player. Oh, he was phenomenal. He's one of the best I've ever seen in, in both codes. He was just tremendous. But I, I just, this England team seemed, I, I wouldn't say badly prepared, I would just say wrongly prepared. It's almost like they went, England went into it thinking, here's how we win this game. We have to be overly physical. We're going to bully teams. We're going to beat them down. That's not. And there was no, where was the finesse? Yeah. That's the Where thing. was the togetherness? Because you know, you, you see all these teams at the moment in the World Cup. You know, you, you get a turnover and they're all slapping each other in the back. Yeah. I never saw that with England. No. There, there was there was a there, there seemed to be a lack of spirit with them. You know, our lack of unity in 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 the team. You know, we, we've seen it quite a bit. You know, especially with the smaller nations to get a turnover or something. Like, you know, win a penalty. You, you know, the guys are called to their feet. They're slapping the back and you know the heads together. I never saw that in any of the England games. They were always very refined, very within themselves. They never, never showed any emotions. And the thing is, this is a squad that's been together for the most part for a couple of years. There's a few mm. players have come in in the last couple of years, but a lot of these guys have been in, in the setup for three, four, you know, even five years. One of the things that really struck me, though, was the failure of the coaches to make in-game adjustments. Like, Dan yeah. Cole was getting absolutely murdered in the scrums against the Aussies. You could see it from the first 15 minutes. Now, I'm sorry, I know he's a respected senior player. 
He's one of the most capped forwards you've got. If you see that happening that early in the game, I don't care if it's 15 seconds in or 15 minutes, you hold him off and you get someone on. You make that adjustment. You cannot allow a team like Australia with the quality they have to find such an advantage. And it was literally like watching a group of senior men play against a team of under 21s in the scrums. And they were just annihilating them. And they were looking to continuously get the ball into a scrummage situation. Every time they had the option to go for a set scrum, they were like, yeah, we'll take this because we know we've got an advantage here. And they were also happy for England to have set scrums because they knew they could win the ball against the head. And the English coaches just seem mm-hmm. to sit there twiddling their thumbs, not making an adjustment. I'm sitting there and I'm talking to guys that like that I know for years that I've played over that I played with years ago. And I'm like, you wouldn't see this at under 20 level. Like you wouldn't see this in a Sunday league game. To not make that adjustment, that is absolutely criminal. So, you know, I'm I'm no expert on on rugby, but I enjoy watching it. And, you know, even I could see sitting there that, you know, every time there was a scrum, it was getting pulled to the side Mm. down. So I can't remember, does it guy Joe somebody or other? I don't know. Anyway, whatever the guy was with the skull cap on, he kept getting turned and we kept giving away penalties. Joe Marler, yeah. 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 And the other thing that, that struck me, because they've been talking about it, you know, all of the, the, you know, the talking heads pontificating before all of the game started and going on about how how disciplined we, England needed to be. And and they weren't at all. And it, it was it was incredibly frustrating, even as somebody who, who, who understands it at kind of, you know, kind of amateur level, just going, why are you doing that? You're acting like a fucking idiot, frankly, and giving away penalties here, there and everywhere. But it was all against Australia. It became almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because they couldn't help it because they couldn't control the scrum. And if I look back to the I think it was Foley's second try, I mean, in some ways it was a thing of beauty because the way they managed to open that that hole and it was Launchbury, I think, who got dragged away for for him to sort of run through for, for Foley to run through and score. But. It was those sorts of things, and over and you saw it against Wales. They kept giving away stupid penalties, um, and and everybody had been, you know, saying, "Oh, you know, it's so important to keep your discipline and not give away penalties, and you know, and all the rest of it." And they could, they could not, you know. I come back to they could not execute. The bottom line was whatever the game plan they had, they couldn't execute. And one of the interesting things that I, I was listening to, they were um, they were doing some you know analysis of the of the game afterwards and talking about the coaches. You know, I don't know much about Stuart Lancaster particularly, but I know he's come through the system. So you know, he he he's coached at different levels, but he's he's not. Um, what they were saying was he's 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 kind of bred up through the system he's not really had any other experience whereas the australia coach they said you know he's got a whole world you know outside of rugby and if the rugby doesn't work out so if he if he's not particularly successful at coaching australia it's just like well i gave it a best shot but you know what i've got my business interests i've got my various other things what they're saying is maybe stuart lancaster and i don't know it's it's an opinion i'm sort of interested in both of your views he's almost too narrow and has never been a, a head coach or worked outside of the England setup. And maybe he doesn't have a rounded enough approach in terms, in terms of how he, he sets up and, and coaches the team. 
I would go as give... far as saying, you know, I, I see a lack of passion in him. He's, he's so deadpan. Yeah. Um, it's not what I want to see from a coach. Um, you, you know, he, he, we had the win against Fiji. He was he was very magnanimous in, in, in winning. He was very calm and collected. But you, I sort of expected some kind of emotion after the Wales game, and he was just deadpan. And if that's the kind of boy who, who's training you, who's doing your team talks, he, he wouldn't inspire me, Dave. What, what do you make of it? To give you a rundown on who Lancaster is and what he's done in his career, I mean, he had a fairly uh, nondescript playing career, you know, um, played, you know, a lot of lower league stuff. His coaching, he, he was a, a coach at the Leeds Academy for uh, three, four years. And then he became director of rugby at Leeds Carnegie for, I think, two years. That was, I think he left that in 07 to join the England setup. And he pretty much was uh was a you know a, a director of rugby again within the England setup then he was coach of the Saxons as well for a while like he has no coaching credentials he has no background he has no he has no track record no experience and, and he doesn't have that in game experience like if you look at like Michael Checker is the the Aussie coach and like he was Leinster coach for five, six years. He coached Stade Francais. He's coached the Waratahs. So he's been all around the world. He has seen different styles of rugby. He has seen different levels of rugby. And what he's been able to do is accumulate little bits and pieces from all those things that allow him to make in-game adjustments regardless of what he sees happening. He sees something that's not working for his team. He makes a change. Lancaster sees something that's not working, if he even sees it, and he's having to ask the guys either side of him. Now, Farrell has no great coaching chops either, and like I don't know who else is on. I, I don't pay round tree round like round tree like round same three. thing. Yeah, no coaching credentials really at all. A tremendous player, one of the great props of all time, um, and, and actually a, a lovely guy. I've met him once or twice. Um, but where's the coaching experience? Where's the the wise old rugby head there to like to pass on the knowledge? Like I, I just I totally disagree with how England rugby has had the direction in which it's gone, and I think it's going to be an awful long road back because despite the fact that they do have a fantastically talented squad, and they do have great young players coming through, as we've already mentioned. There's no direction. There seems to be no camaraderie or togetherness. Like, you watch watch that game back, the Australia game, and watch when the Aussie players are coming off and their teammates are getting up, they're high-fiving, they're hugging them. The English lads are coming off and it's, oh, yeah, well done. And, like, a nod at the head and sit down. And that's it. There's no... There's just no... Togetherness. Yeah, it's just so... I've never seen a rugby team like this where they just... this complete like a lack of emotion involved. It's almost like the robots programmed to just play in a certain way. And then when somebody does something that they're not programmed to respond to, they just get all confused and they run around well, like a bunch of sheep. Maybe they are that maybe, you know, you say teams are a reflection of their manager slash coach. Maybe that's what you're seeing. Yeah, no, I totally agree because as I mentioned earlier on the Woodward England team, he's one of the, most creative rugby minds that there's been in the last 25 years and his team reflected that this team is just so robotic and straightforward and 
It's it's not fun. They're not. The thing is, if they were even fun to watch, it would be one thing. Like if they yeah. were going out and having shootouts every game, and you know it was high score and entertainment, but it's not. It's not at all. It's utter dreck, and it's yeah. not something that can continue for England rugby. Dave, do you feel that they were overly defensive? They were set up, to, in my view, they were set up very defensively, defensively for the Wales game. It was more about defending than it was attacking. And that, to me, made absolutely no sense. No sense at all, Dave, especially when you're playing at home. Because the Welsh team are set up to, to, to draw pressure, to soak that up, bend, don't break, and then hit you quickly. That's how the Welsh team have been set up for a couple of years. That's how they play. That's how they've had the success that they've had against the bigger nations in the last couple of years. Ben, don't break. Take your chances when you get them. The England well, team th- should have gone out and they should have just tried to smash them. Do you, do you think it was the back three that scared them of Wales? Because they are pretty impressive. They are. But at the same time, Dave, if they don't have the ball, then they can't hurt you. If you keep the ball and you just batter them, they can't hurt you. Just shoved the ball down their throats. They didn't do that. It was like they did it for, at stages in the first half. I remember thinking England could win this by a blowout. And then as it got to half time, and you could see there was a lack of ki- real killer instinct in this team. And that's, I think, what's missing most. Like you look at, at this team and look at who the leaders are in the team. And you, you would say, obviously, Rob Shaw, a very good player experienced I don't know that he's a captain a true captain um Haskell is you know in the squad I I don't think he's you know these are the more experienced guys I don't see a real leader in this team I don't see a Martin Johnson I don't see a Richard Hill or a Lawrence Delalio or a Neil Back or you know even a Roundtree you know guys that would smell that blood and just go for the kill that would know instinctively right, this is what's working, this is where they're weak, this is where we're having success, now we're going to pummel them in this area, let them adjust to it, then we'll readjust and we'll find the next weakness. That's what Australia did to England. England haven't been able to do that. And they couldn't even do it to Fiji. And when you cannot, like, they played well in patches against Fiji, but it's a fairly poor Fiji team. And... I haven't been impressed with them at all. Um, I know they've kept the, the scores fairly low against the Aussies and the Welsh, but I thought England in that game on that night needed a statement victory, particularly because I felt they were going to need the points. I thought they were going to need to win by 30, 35 points, and I think they could have because they they raced out of the blocks earlier on, early on, and if there was real leaders and just had the right mindset I think they would have wiped the floor with them and I think they then would have gone into the Wales game in a different mindset and then that could have been the springboard on to play in Australia but instead it was a hap- like a second rate performance against Fiji went into the Wales game got their lead seemed to think it was all over and done with them had no idea what was going on when these mad Welshmen started coming back at them lost to Wales and went into went into the went into the Australia game already beaten Australia didn't I agree. beat them as they beat themselves. They they walked on that pitch looking like they'd already lost. Yeah, the the Wales and and again, you know, you mentioned coaches and that you've got Warren Gatlin there again, done it all, been there, done it, mm. everything. 
and, and you know, when, when you're up against coaches like that, and if, if Lancaster is lacking that little bit of, of, of nice, let's say, it, it, it was always going to end badly for them. Yeah. Gay, I, I'm just wondering, what has been the, the reaction in England? Has it been, you know, obviously you're still hosting the tournament. London must be still full of tourists and, and you know, people coming oh, for the World Cup. Has, has it dampened any or, or are we continuing on? Oh, well, there's been, you know, there's been a lot of angst. There's been a lot of, um, you know, post-game analysis and lots of, you know, people drowning their sorrows. And, and they're now... So so my understanding is that after the game, um, after the Australia game, sometime later, Stuart Lancaster came back out onto the pitch. And I think he was doing post-game interviews or whatever he was doing. Anyway, there were sections of the crowd booing him. So so I, I take that as not a great sign for him. That's well, not very rugby, that. <laughs> um, well, no, and, and particularly when you think about the crowds at Twickenham, which are normally reasonably well-behaved, I, I suspect they were quite lagered up by that point. So, so if you get the Sloanies booing you, something's gone horribly wrong. Um there's been, you know, they've come out, there's been, um, you know, press conferences with the, you know, the RFU and talking about not making, you know, snap decisions, you know, and Lancaster sort of sat there very stoically and sort of says, you know, the buck stops with me and it's my responsibility. I I don't know whether Stuart Lancaster will survive this. I don't know whether Stuart Lancaster should survive this. I... The bit that I and this is maybe a question for a bigger pod on a on another day, but you know if you look at rugby, cricket, and football distinction, they've pretty much crashed out at the first years, and you can't say it's a lack of interest, you can't say it's a lack of funding, you can't even say possibly with the exception of football it's with a lack of talent. So why is it that England, which, which is a country obsessed by sport and people play it and watch it and all the rest of it, cannot translate that into performances when it goes into the big international tournaments? And one of the exceptions I'll, I will pull out of that is the Olympics. But then, you know, you're talking about Team GB rather than England specifically. But but I'd still make the I would still make the same you know, draw the same parallels. So in terms of what's it been, so, so there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a pull. Now, because I'm not, you know, I'm not immersed in the rugby, so I'm not hanging around with rugby people. I, I would imagine there is quite a level of depression. I don't think it's going to, it's not going to make it a bad tournament because I think, you know, in England, in Britain, we are very good at hosting sporting events. So from that perspective, it's going it's still going to be a fantastic tournament. All of the tickets are going to be uh, have been sold. You know, there there won't be empty stadiums. And as the as it gets to the later stages, I think it will be exciting and people will still be watching the games. You know, as the as the host country, it's a bit shit, frankly, that we couldn't even manage to get out of the pool. Um, but then I do wonder about why the pools are. Uh, this isn't this isn't to try and come up with a reason why, because England weren't good enough to get out of the pool they're in. But I do question how sensible it is to have three teams, you know, potentially in the kind of top tier of rugby. All why why do that? Why why 
set it up in that way. But it's a, it's a lot to do there with you know, the rankings, and, and these smaller teams are playing each other and getting wins and, and, and accumulating ranking points, which sort of, I think you would agree with me on this, Dave, it leaves the rugby world rankings very much askew um, in some cases. Yeah, the the rankings are a very strange way, and like the way they they organise these tournaments and they pick the groups so early on is just stupid. Now, they have said they'll address it. Um, but I think it's probably better for England to go out now than face potential humiliation if they went on. Um, like, if Wales weren't in the group, say, and they finished second, yeah. and then if they ran into, like, if they, if they ran into the All Blacks, they would get absolutely wiped off the pitch. I think Ireland in decent form would wipe the floor with them. I think the French would wipe the floor with them at the minute. And to be honest, I think if it was a knockout game and the Aussies were going hell for leather, because you have to remember that game wasn't do or die for the Aussies. They knew they could lose that game and beat Wales and go through. So that wasn't do or die for them. In a do or die knockout game, I think the Aussies could, could have beaten them by 50, given how both teams played that night. Couldn't disagree with it. Listen, I, w- I want to go across to Ireland because we never get talking about them on these pods. <laughs> Here I am sitting and we never get talking about them. It's all, it's all, I've, I've had nothing but Welshmen on this pod for, for, for the last two weeks. It's, it's been, well, they've been celebrating. We'll you give see, them that, you know. The reason you're getting all the Welshies, though, is because gags won't let them on the soccer pods. Well, there's that keep, as well. They keep trying to take over. <laughs> so, like, they're left with this. So, you know, it's, it's their way to rant and rave and be Welsh. But again, Dave, what have you made of Ireland so far? I have been impressed, but you know, going into the weekend, I, I remain wary. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I've been very concerned of what I've seen from France uh, in some respects, and I've been relieved in other ways about France. But I was totally appalled by Italy's first two games, and then they decided to turn up for, for the game with us, which in hindsight was a very good thing for us because it gave us a good, uh, it was a decent test. It was. Uh, for- uh, you know, going into the France game, but I, I do have, I, I think, well, don't get me wrong. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I think we're going to win it, but I think it's going to be hellish tight. 
I think this could be the game of the tournament. Um, the thing is, like, fair enough, both teams are through, but you win this game, you play certain Ar- all blacks involved. You play Argentina, you lose, you play the all blacks. So if you win, you've got a really good chance of making the semi finals. You get to semi finals, pretty much anything can happen. Um, I think we'd play Australia in the semi-finals if we if we win this game, then beat the Argies. I think we we'd get Australia. Whereas if you lose this game, then we're getting the All Blacks, and I'll fancy our chances against the All Blacks well, right they, now. If they've been poor, they've been they tired, have sorry. not. They have. They, they have been very un, un They're not New Zealand at the minute. You know, no. there, there's flashes of it there, but it's not there just yet. I do expect it to click. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying they're out or anything near. Yeah, I no. Expect- I mean, look, they, they they've. They haven't been they haven't been impressive, but that's kind of worrying as well, though, Dave. In that they it could click for them at any at any minute, and you know then they can ramp up a score against pretty much anybody, and uh, because they've got so many options, you see, and they're so well coached, and they've got the leaders in the in the squad. They've got not just leaders on the pitch, but they've got leaders in the dressing room as well, and that's the other thing that the England squad are missing. Like you look at the Welsh team and how many guys in the Welsh team have 60, 70, 80, 90 caps that aren't even playing, you know, that aren't even starters, but they're in the dressing room. They've been in World Cups before. They've been on Lions tours. They've, you know, played at the highest level in the Heineken Cup, etc. They know what it's about. They know how to talk to their teammates. That's the one thing I really like about the Irish squad. I think we've got a lot of leaders in our squad. I think you can look from... Let's say take Rory Best at hooker all the way back to Rob Carney at fullback. I think there's leaders throughout this Irish squad. I think I think we've played within ourselves. I think they have been very careful and very clever with the game plans. We went out, we ran up the score a bit against Canada, ran up the score a bit against Romania. Probably could have put another fifteen points on Romania had had it really clicked well. Um got through the Italy game wasn't pretty but Italy did play very well and we've set ourselves up now for this French game in a way that I think the right players are rested and I I think I do fancy our chances to beat the French because I think we're going to be able to dominate them in the right areas I think we've got the ability in our backs look we don't have the you know the, the incredible talent that they have in their back line, but I think we've got the physicality and the speed in ours that I think we can open up holes and take advantage of them. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to the game. I have to say, I think it's going to be a real spectacle um, because I, I, I think both teams want to fight New Zealand. It's a hell of an incentive. Um, Gay, what have you made of the World Champions elect Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay I, I had to laugh at that um, <laughs> I, I tell you laugh at your peril laugh at your peril uh, right so so being brutally honest I've not seen a lot of Ireland yet in this tournament nor have I seen much of France so so I'm I'm going to go with what I know about those two teams and what I would say is that I think the word I would use for France is mercurial so on their day, they are frankly unplayable. Um, and I still remember that semi-final against New Zealand from, was it 99? Or to, anyway, to, whenever it was. Um, and I just remember sitting there with my mouth hanging open as they just took New Zealand apart. 
you know, they've had a couple of years, frankly, in the wilderness, France, and they had, um, you know, they had all of the issues with their coach and, and various other things. They, they actually seem to be a lot more settled now. Um, and, uh, you know, you underestimate France at your peril. I think you've had a bit of a changing of the guard in the Ireland team. Um, so you've got a lot of experience, but you started bringing some of the younger players through. I, I do agree with you in so far as I think it's, it is going to be a really interesting game. Um, I, I'm on a pod with two Irish blokes. What am I, what am I going to say? Um, I think you're going to get your asses handed to Tell us the truth. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fine. No, that, that's good. That's good for me. I think it's that balanced. I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. Um, I th- it, it comes down to, um, I think Ireland potentially will be more disciplined than France, is what I think. And that may make the difference. I think... I think France can be can create more magic, um, but I think you'll be more disciplined, and it, and it may come down to fewer penalties. I think uh, we're great spoilers as well at, at that mm. game. Connell's a, a master of it, you know, uh, slowing things down when they need to. Dave, I read in the media recently that uh, the game plan for France seems to be um, this guy Bastaro on. Um, on Sexton, it seems to be this is what they're going to do. They're going to storm Sexton and try and put him off. I, I quite like the idea of that because there'll be plenty of protection around him. You know, if, if they come out in the media and said it, you know, the one thing we do well is protect Sexton because when, when Sexton's ticking, we're going well. well. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what we have to do because he's our most important player. Um, I'd be worried if we don't protect him properly, though. I think the, there's two things to look at here. If 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 we let leave him exposed, Bastro will absolutely run all over him because Sexton isn't the best defensively. Tends to take wrong angles, going into tackles and stuff. Um, but it could also just be a smoke screen to get us focused on that one area, and they might look to hit us out wide. Because they do have some talented wide players. They've got a very talented fullback. So I, I'm a little bit concerned about that. I think our way to win this game is to win it up front. Um, I say that as a former hooker. I think <laughs> I think that's how most teams should win games. But I think our, that's our best avenue is to get the ball into our pack. Let them control the game. Basically let Paul, Paul O'Connell and, and Sean O'Brien control this game. I think they're. I don't think their pack's great, to be honest, Dave. I think we can beat them in the scrums. I think we can beat them in the lineouts. I think we can mold them to death if 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 we execute properly. And it will all come down to execution. And as Gay said, it will it will come down to who concedes the most penalties. We have to be disciplined. We have some great spoilers in this game, but we're going to have to get a feel on the referee early if he starts blowing on minor things early, we really can't afford to push them because that will absolutely kill our chances. No, I hear you. What, what, what have you made? Because I've never got talking to you on this. Uh, Joe Smith, like, I, I just love the guy. I think he's fantastic. I think it's a, probably one of the best things ever happened to Irish rugby. Um, you know, it, it just seems to be a completely fresh way of, a completely fresh approach uh, to the whole game. And I'm just loving it. Yeah, he's he's just like... 
I mean, I, I was lucky enough. I got to see, you know, see a lot of them with Leinster. Um, and I just thought he was a breath of fresh air into Irish rugby. He has, you know, because he was an assistant for a long time. And because he's been around, he's, you know, been to different countries. He's picked up different, again, he's he's picked up different types of experience. He's watched different types of rugby. He's been able to bring everything he's learned to Ireland. And it's revolutionising the way we play the game um, at, at all levels, not just at the senior senior international level. You go and watch, you know, local clubs play now. And there are things that you will see, things that will stand out that you wouldn't have seen three, four, five years ago. But because of the success he had with Leinster, and now because of the success he's having with Ireland, I think it's it's really, you know, it's just, it's fantastic what he's been able to do in, in such a short period of time as well. Because he's been Ireland coach for two years. He's only been in the country five years. Um, and he's done a huge amount, like two Heineken Cups, uh, won the Pro 12, won the Challenge Cup. And now, you know, back-to-back Six Nations, it's it's unprecedented what he's been able to do. And, and not just in terms of the honours, in terms of the overall effect. No, I hear you on that. And it is true. And I love the way during the Six Nations last year that, you know, he, he would have quite happily forfeited that. Um, you know, you know, he went experimental against England. And, you know, mm. his preparation was for this World Cup. And I love that. And that's where England have gone wrong, you see, Dave. And, Gay, you mentioned it earlier on. Why can England not succeed in soccer and in rugby? It's because they will not take the time to plan beyond the next thing. They look at the next thing and think, oh, we have to win this because it's the next thing. There's no succession plan. There's no long-term goals. The same in soccer. You see Hodgson. He's not there for the long-term of anything. You know, there's, there's, He's not going to leave any groundwork for anybody to come in. The person who takes over as the next England manager, it should be in the next couple of weeks. They should just bin off the idea of winning any of the next three Six Nations and their entire focus should go on, on 2019 in the same way that the next England soccer coach should take over and their entire focus should should go on the European Championships in 2020, not on the next World Cup, but a four-year plan where you get rid of everybody over a certain age unless they have not just the ability on the pitch, but the ability in the dressing room, those intangibles that England are clearly mas- missing. You need mm. to start building a squad. I think that might squad. be slightly illegal. Well, <laughs> I think that might be age discriminatory. <laughs> nah, it's fine. <laughs> there, should be, there should be nobody in the England squad over the age of the England rugby squad after this World Cup over the age of 25, 26 who isn't, who doesn't bring something else to the table other than their ability on the pitch you have to start planning for the long term. If England want to go and compete and win the next World Cup that's what they need to do. Look look at Woodward's England. Look at that team. Look back three, say three years and it was pretty mm. much the same team. They built a team and they let them make the mistakes. They let them learn on the pitch. They let them learn by losing. And they managed to turn things around. They began to win. It becomes a habit. It becomes a mentality. You iron out all the mistakes. 
you find little pockets of ways to beat teams. And because you're so used to playing together, you then begin begin to think as one as well. So when you go and play France or Ireland, everybody knows this is their weakness, this is their weakness, this is the other team's weakness. And as a team, without the coach having to open his mouth, you automatically begin to, to aim at them. And that's how that's how that team won the World Cup in two thousand three. No, you're not you're not anyway wrong. Dave, I think you've to you've to head on here, do you? I do. I have a, a very uh, anti-Canadian man now waiting for my return to record. <laughs> Listen, just, so I well, should bid you all farewell. Gay and I will continue on for a little bit. Just thank you very much for appearing. As always, it's always a pleasure to have your insight. And, and we'll have you back again, hopefully, uh, when, when we get into the knockout stages. Cool. Dave, talk to you soon. Gay, lovely speaking to you for the first time. Take care. And Bye-bye. you too. Cheers. So, Gay, I'm going to come to you. And and uh, what what has impressed you? Were you were you shocked by the uh, the the South African result against Japan first of all? And and have oh you been impressed God. with them? <laughs> have you have have you been impressed with them since? Because I think South Africa have really turned a corner. You know, it was a bad start for them, but they're looking very dangerous. They are, and they they absolutely hammered the USA. Um, earlier on, didn't they? I mean, it was something ridiculous, like 58 points to nil or something. Um, and I, I mean, I was absolutely gobsmacked, to be honest, by the result against Japan. And and it was it was interesting, the kind of parallels, not, and not to draw it back to England, but that last minute decision by Japan to go for it. And and I, I, just, I, loved, I loved the bravery of it. I absolutely loved the bravery of it because... They knew, you know, the the only way that they they would do anything is because, you know, you're never going to get a Japanese side that's going to be able to compete on a power basis against the South African side. So it was all, you know, ball in hand and running rugby and and, you know, and quick players and recycling. and, And it was it was a joy. It was a joy to watch some of it, actually. And. Maybe it was a slight freak result, but sometimes fortune favours the brave. So yeah, I was I I was absolutely delighted for Japan to be honest. And I think the the downside for the other teams in the tournament is it gave South Africa such a kick in the ass. Exactly. They, they exactly. were they just went. We we have been humiliated, and it will not happen again. And what you're seeing now is is actually the 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 aftermath of the, the Japan victory is, is South Africa have got their serious game face on. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, anybody who comes up against South Africa now is going to have serious, serious issues getting past them. Um, one of the, one of the things that you mentioned earlier and, uh, and um, I was having some technological issues, but I, I saw some of the New Zealand game. Um, one, the last one that they played and I was, I was really taken aback by the amount of handling errors. It was so, I think you were saying. Shocking. It was so not the All Blacks. And, and I was just, you know, even with my future husband, I was, you know, Mr. Carter, I was absolutely appalled by, you know, some of the handling errors. So um, I, I'm, I'm assuming that New Zealand are playing their way into the tournament and you can probably get away with it at this point in the pool and they've pretty much already qualified anyway. But I am expecting as well as hoping that they they are sharpening up and because, you you know, 
there's only once or twice at push you can you can afford to be that sloppy because even the second and third tier nations are not to be taken for granted anymore i mean uruguay possibly they seem to be cannon fodder uh really at, at this tournament but but in general sense you know even your fijis and your you know your samoas or your tongas or whatever that that you're going to know that you've played them they may be a oh, bit undisciplined a physical challenge and, big physical yeah, challenge with the pacific islands yeah big but, big challenge. and, and I, New I, I, Tonga next don't they yeah, well, I, ha- I have a little bit of inside info on that because Andrew McGough, who comes on the, the pod here, and, and I was talking to him, and, and I, we're having a bit of banter, really. Um, you, you know that I was bantering them, basically, they would need to step their game up if they're going to ever beat Ireland this time. Um, and, and he was, you know, after a bit of banter, he came back and he said that uh, the, the news from inside the camp was that they're trying different things. They're a work in progress during the, the pool stages. And they're just working on different angles and different things. And he expects a completely different New Zealand for the knockout phase. Now, given the group that they're in, I suppose, uh, some may say arrogance, but whenever you're in New Zealand, you can afford to be that, you know, you can afford to do that. Um, so I would, uh, you know, w- when we're talking about this this game at the weekend, Ireland-France, I want to avoid the All Blacks at all costs. Um, you know, Ireland have never beaten them in the history, never. Um, we came close, very close the last time. Uh, and, and, and fell down, but uh, as I say, in a semi-final or final, I, I wouldn't want. To see, I don't want to see New Zealand anywhere until the final, really. <laughs> well, it's possible. Anything is possible. I mean, you know, you you've clearly got a good um, a good opportunity against France. You know, I I I sort of looked at a few things before I came on this pod. You know, France haven't beaten you for a fair few years. So, so in terms of your most recent record against France, it's really good. Um, you know, I think that France have been improving over the last couple of years. Um, you know, whether you know what Saint Andre comes up with in terms of his game plan to play you, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I'm you know I'm no expert on this. I know you know a little. I know little bits about certain teams. So, I think Picamol is it that how you pronounce his name? I think yeah. he's quite an interesting, um, interesting player, and seeing how you, how you deal with him and how France deal with Ireland. So, um, but you know, recent history would suggest you're probably favourites for the game. Yeah, but if you're as old as me, you remember the hidings that were had over the years of France. Always, <laughs> for for me, France is always like that well, that warning sign. You know, you never you never know really what you're going to get. And, you know, sometimes they don't travel well. Sometimes they do travel well. Uh, and, and this goes through to their club sides as well in the Heineken Cup. You know, you never know what you're going to get with the French side. And um, it's for, you know, a winner takes all um, for, for the quarter, for the easier quarter final. It's not really the ideal. I would have preferred to have this game out of the way much sooner. Um, you know, the way that the way that Italy stepped their game up after two, like really insipid, horrible performances that, that they had in the tournament before they played Ireland. Uh, and all of a sudden, they decided to wake up. And as I said to Dave earlier in the pod, it, it was a good test for Ireland, and I think it'll serve them yeah. well. Um, you know, certainly Australia and Wales are coming out of that group battle hardened after 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 the group of death. Um, it'll, and it'll be a very interesting game at the weekend between those two. Um, you know, I'll be interested to see just how well Wales actually cope with Australia, and because that is one huge team. Those are like, yeah. like Australia is just one huge. Even the backs are huge boys, you know. Uh, you know, you you get run over there very very easily, and especially if, if if Australia turn it on. And Australia like 
France coming into this tournament were, you know, weren't very, weren't much fancied. But I'll tell you what, I think they're a bit more fancied now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, w- one of the things that I, I I've always liked about the Welsh team is that they I I like to see running rugby. Right. I don't particularly like sterile, you know, you know, sort of lots of scrums and, you know, rolling. Do you know that it's fine and it is part of the game. But I I like to see balling. I like to see running. I like expansive overlaps. I like. Yeah, yeah, that's what that that's probably the technical term. Yes. Expansive back play. Um, That's what I like. And Wales have generally always had a big element of that in their teams um the bit you know we 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 talked about it earlier but you know they are a counter-attacking type of rugby team so it's in it's going to be interesting the game against australia because as you say they're they're monsters but also you know the the welsh team I, i don't know how many more players they've got left I mean, they've they've been having to call up three or four players a game because they're losing yeah. they're losing people rotten hand luck. over fist. Just they they are. It's just horrendous to be honest, and I feel I feel for them for that. So, you know, it, it, but but they have that. You know, the the bit that we were saying is missing with England. They have that team spirit. They have that kind of you know guts mentality. They they refuse to kind of bend. They refuse to give up and. You know what? I wouldn't put it past them to spring a surprise on Australia because my question is: they had an almost. I know, I know. We talked about the fact, you know, they had handling errors and they made mistakes. But in terms of execution of a plan, they had an almost perfect plan. And I question whether you can do that twice in succession to that level. No, it's a fair point. That really is a fair point. Um, I, for me, I just, you know, I just don't see the Welsh getting past them. I think this is this is the bridge too far for them. I think a losing bonus point. Um, I think that's the territory we're in. We're looking at you know they'll lose within seven. I could be. I'd love to see them win it. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see Wales uh, beat Australia, but I just think on this occasion, I say just just the size of them. Wales will be will have you know one eye and a quarter final anyway because they're going through. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's just how much, they, how much they bring to the game, you know. Uh, but I, I don't expect them to c- come in in half measures or, or anything like that. But just uh, it has been a it's been a hell of a group for the for for the three teams there. And you know England have paid the price of it. But you know we talk about Andrew also spoke about the the All Blacks coming into this tournament a little undercooked, which yeah. again looks to be you know looks to be spot on to be fair. Uh, and he expected them to come to life in the in the knockout phases. Um, you, you know, has there been any other teams that you think could could, could pull up a shock here uh, for, for for the whole tournament? Uh, okay. In terms of the whole tournament, well, that's um, that's that's quite an interesting one. So, you know what? I would love I would love to see Japan actually go through. I really would. Um, I, I'm not sure whether they still have that. Ability. No, I don't. I don't. I don't I, I don't think I think that's past them now. Um, because they because they they obviously they beat Saturday, but they're in third, so they're two points behind Scotland. Um, I, I guess we, we're assuming Scotland will be strong enough because they've got who. Uh, I'm, I Scotland, can't Scotland, so Scotland have been fine. Plays, they'll be fine, and I, but I can't remember who they've got left to play. That's what I'm saying. But they've got one of the minnows left to play. So I'm Samoa. assuming that Samoa, yeah. Samoa, Scotland. 
yeah. Um, so, it, I mean? so, so they'll go through. So, unfortunately, I, I think it would have been great in terms of expanding the audiences for rugby because rugby actually isn't played in that many countries around the world. So, so from that perspective it would have been great I think if Japan could have gone through um, but clearly that's not going to happen um, do you know what I would like to think that um, of the teams that are going to go through really the only other one I think that could uh, is it a surprise no because I think they've, they've had enough years now being on the verges would be the Pumas the Argentina because they're going to go through with New Zealand and so I guess if if you win the group, do you get to play Argentina then? We do, and and you know memories of two thousand and seven come rushing back the minute you even <laughs> even mention Argentina. Uh, we, we, we've had our we've had our share of uh, sort of crisis against them as well. They they were the final nail in the coffin of the uh, the two thousand and seven World Cup for us. And you know either either one of those two teams. I, I would expect to to, to beat uh, yeah. Argentina at the moment on, on form, but so uh, you know it's the weakest I, team of the eight. Them and Scotland will be the weakest team of the that go into the knockout stages. Um, so yeah, more or do or less. I think do I think either of those will get to the semi finals? No, probably not. Do I think that? it would be something other than, and bearing in mind, I don't know exactly who plays who, but do I think it would be something other than a potential New Zealand slash South Africa final? Um, it's always possible. I, To my mind, they're the heavyweights. Of, of if, if New Zealand turn up, Australia, I think, are the dark horses. Um, yeah, I would agree with that, that you can't rule them out. No. No, you can't. But but I come back to France are entirely mercurial. If they decide to, if they light the touch flame and go, they could they could they could generally tear anybody apart. Uh, so maybe that's the other dark horse. Maybe. Do you, do you feel? I, I I sort of feel. I'd be curious to see your feelings on this one. You know, the, the tournament really starts. From the knockout phase now, you know yeah. that these these pool games have, apart from from England's group, that they have been pretty much rugby by numbers. You knew exactly, really, you know, okay, the South Africa game against Japan threw up a shock, but really and yeah. truly, there hasn't been that much seismic yeah. movement in the world of rugby apart from that. And you know, everything is coming to settle basically where we all sort of would have would have agreed it would settle before the tournament started. And and I think you know once you once you enter it's it's like football World Cup it's the same thing you get through your your, your group and then you start your knockout phase and it's a completely different mentality it's knockout rugby it's it's you know sudden death so you can see teams as you I think it was yourself that said earlier on in the pod you know Australia still had the game to play when they played England um, you know they could still beat Wales and go through England it was a it was a sudden death and yeah. and they didn't they didn't turn up but I think. That what Dave said about you know they could have taken a pasting in the later stages is is very valid on that because these teams will up their game. Oh God, yeah, they that, no, I agree with you. They absolutely will up their game because it's you know it's that old 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 saying, isn't it? Go hard or go home, and that in it's literally that is what you that's what you've got to do. Um, and the people will take more risks because they know if they don't the likelihood is they'll be going out of the tournament anyway. So I think potentially that both the quality 
and the types of games will be stronger as you get into the knockout stages. Um, they may not be as high scoring, but I think they'll be more tension filled. Uh, you may get the odd blowout. You, you, you always do. You get a kind of slightly surprised result in terms of one, one team kind of loses the plot somewhere along the way. But, but in general, I think because it's high risk and it's, you know, um, win or go home, they, they're going to be really interesting games to watch. And I'm, I am looking forward to seeing some of those because, like I said, I'm a I'm a rugby fan who lives in England rather than an England rugby fan. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing the games, seeing no, all absolutely. of the knockout games. And, and with that in mind, and, and I'll say we're, we're pushing on in time here, uh, I'll, I'll just bring it to a close with this. Um, you know, what now for England? You know, you play Uruguay. What When you watch this game coming up, what is it you want to see from England as, a, as, a, as an England rugby follower? What is it, what, what's the next step for you? What, what is it that the, the English rugby public want to see from this game? What's, what, what's the forward step? So I think that um, what, what is probably going to happen, so I'll answer it in two ways. One, what I think is going to happen, and two, what I, what I would like to see. So I think what's going to happen is that um, a load of players are going to get rested. The players that people think should have been in the squad in the first place are going to get to play possibly the full 80 minutes. Um, Uruguay are pretty much the cannon fodder of the group, but I suspect that because of the gra- the crowd will be antsy because clearly this is not how they expected it to go I think it's actually probably going to be quite a poor error strewn game um, and whilst England will probably end up winning I think they will you know they will stumble across the line and, and the, the score line will probably end up being flattering um, what wow. I would like to see is I would like to see um, what won't happen, which is the that basically told to go out there, take the pan breaks off, and enjoy the last game of your World Cup tournament, and remember what it feels like to play on a World Cup stage because this might be your only ever game. Um, and if you want to do it again, then make sure that you that you give the performance of your life and 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 have that inspire the players. To, to to play the type of rugby that they're capable of. I, I think that is, that's exactly what you're going to see, in my opinion. I, I think that the shackles will be off. And, you know, it, it, it's a very much uh, smacks of too little, too late. But I imagine that Uruguay are going to get put to the sword because, you know, it's a wounded animal. England are not a bad rugby team. Um, no, far from not. it. Uh, and, you know, we're, well, we're I wonder if the disappointment to- has sunk in too deep for them to... To, to you know that pride will you know wanting to perform will take you to a certain point but i'm wondering if the the disappointment has sunk deep into the veins that they'll they'll struggle to raise themselves the way they would like want to. Well, no i think one would like to hope that you know with professional professional players um you know that the, their pride would <laughs> would be the biggest effect in that you know the, the, they would have enough pride to go out there and and try and put on a performance for the people that I'm not have been saying disappointed. They won't try I'm not saying they won't try i uh, you know you asked me what i thought i think they will try i just think the nerves will come in again because they want to put on a performance so badly i think it potentially again will will you know diminish them 
yeah. And then, you know, I feel very sorry. You know, I have a great deal of sympathy for people there who, you know, who are going to this game and, and you know, English people who have bought tickets. At, I mean, obnoxious prices for these World Cup tickets um, this time around. That, you know, they're, they're so high, even compared to, to, you know, we had the Football World Cup here last year. Never paid a half of that for a ticket uh, to a match. Uh, in the football World Cup, I'm, I'm sh- I was absolutely shocked. George was at the 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 Wales England game, and what he paid for a ticket was was, was scandalous um, for for this tournament. So, with that in mind as well, I would like those people who have who have paid a lot of money to get some entertainment out of it. Me too, I, and that's what I that's what I want. Um, like I said, I split it into two answers: what I think I'd get and what I, what I want. <laughs> so. That's what I want. I want that for the pay, for the paying public who turns up as well. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I wanted Ancelotti this week. It looks like I got Klopp. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, Here, not it's, bad, it's not a bad, it's not a bad free price, is it? <laughs> I wish you'd be talking about football on here, but it's it's hard to at the minute. It's hard to ignore it. <laughs> but listen, no. we have, we have marched on in time, uh, Gay, and and as I say we're way over the hour as usual on this pod because we just keep going on and on and on. I just want to come to you uh, one last time and say, have, have you anything ongoing? When, when when can we look forward to the next Liver Birds? Uh, um, what's happening? Well, so so we we haven't we haven't set set the actual dates yet, um, and I but I would imagine with everything that's going on, there's probably going to be one sooner rather than later. So so I can't I can't give you an exclusive date yet, but I suspect that once um, Jurgen is announced, and um, I think we will probably have um, a live birds preview show leading up to the Spurs game. So sometime during the international break, we. Will We'll probably be doing um, that or either we will do a post game one after the Spurs game in terms of what did we all think of Jurgen? <laughs> so because that seems to be what everybody's interested in at the moment. So watch this space. There will probably be something in the next um, week or so. So no pressure on myself or Ray. I've just committed us to that. Um but yeah, it will it will be good. Um, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm genuinely getting that excited feeling about. Fo- it might be actually fun to go and see a football game again. So I know we've been oh. talking about rugby, but I couldn't pass that up. Oh no, definitely not. And why not? And anybody who has never listened to Liver Birds, get on it because it's one of the best podcasts out there. As I said, I've been listening to it forever, and, and, and you, you, I just love it. I, I really do love that podcast. It's, it's one oh, of the best. No, it's it's true. I, I, it always makes me laugh. Um, it, it's probably the funniest pod out there, you know, <laughs> by far. It, it's just I just sit and giggle. My wife says to me, "What are you at? Live or birds? Leave it alone, you and women." <laughs> I know we we do we do get a little bit carried away from time to time. Oh, it's, it's when you go militant. That's when I really like it. You know, <laughs> I really like the the women going militant. That's the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, listen, I'm gonna get that on a T-shirt. Yeah, let's go militant. <laughs> but <laughs> oh dear, listen, this needs to stop. Uh, listen, thank you so much for coming on. I'll say I'm so delighted. I, I just picked up one of your tweets the other day and, and realised that you followed the rugby because number one, to have a female voice is excellent, and number two, to have someone from England who we've struggled to get on the whole way through the the Rugby World Cup, and hopefully you'll join us again for for some more pods going forward. I'd be delighted. Thank you very much for the invitation. Honestly, I've genuinely enjoyed myself. Um, and yes, I'd, I'd love to come back. So thank you, Dave. It's been brilliant. 
Well, then you're nailed on to come back. Um, that just leaves me just time to, to plug the Anfield Index um, app, which is free to download, full of content. Uh, you can find us, uh, the Simbin Rugby Podcast, on there under other sports. Uh, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening, taking the time to listen to us. And if you recommend us to your friends, we would be very grateful. And we should be recording another one again with the Southern Hemisphere guys uh, around about the weekend and maybe throw a Welshman in there for, for, for good value as well because they, they do like coming on these pods. But for me, Dave Caron, all that's left for me to say is good night and thank you to everyone for listening. Until the next time, goodbye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.